Ladies and gentlemen, and all of us who are neither and or both, welcome to Trans Louisiana, the podcast of the Louisiana Trans Oral History Project. My name is Sophia Ziegler, and I'm so happy to be here with you today. This podcast features selections from the oral histories gathered by the Louisiana Trans Oral History Project, which aims to share and preserve the voices of Louisiana's trans and gender non-conforming communities. You can learn more about us at louisianatransoralhistory.org and by finding us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. This podcast also aims to lift up members of our communities in a number of ways, including our Song of the Month selection, in which we feature trans and gender nonconforming musicians. So please be sure to stick around to the end of this show to hear our Song of the Month I am so happy to say that today's episode features sections from our interview with Lola Jean Darling, an indigenous trans woman living in New Orleans. She and I spoke in August of 2021, and we discussed life on the reservation where she was born, as well as her current work in cultural revitalization and recontextualization. We begin the audio here with her answering a question about her early life. Um, yeah, I was born uh, on the Pearl River Choctaw Reservation in 1982. Yeah, in Mississippi, that's in Mississippi, in uh, East Central Mississippi, about four hours, about a four hour drive from, from Bulbantra, which is New Orleans. Um, I lived there till I was 22. I moved to uh, Meridian, Mississippi after leaving the reservation. And I lived there for about six months and then Katrina happened. And um, you know, I uh, I wasn't doing anything anyway, so I moved up to Olympia, Washington for a couple of years. And then I spent some time hopping trains and lived in Texas for a couple of years before moving here. And I've been living uh, here in Bulbantra for close to nine years. The reservation in the 80s and the first half of the 90s was almost like a snapshot of 50 years before. Um, there were very few paved roads, Everyone, everyone had gardens and animals and like animals that you would eat or use for labor. And like you would walk down the road, go into the co-op to get groceries. You'd see old Choctaw women sitting on their porches, just in these full, they're really, they're not really Choctaw dresses. They, they're adapted Choctaw dresses, but they're German strudel dresses. Um, and that's our traditional colonized dress, modern dress. But they'd just be sitting on the porch in these beautiful dresses, um, you know, shelling peas. And if, if they called you over, you had to go help them until the task was done. If you were walking in the middle of nowhere and someone pulled up, they immediately be like, are you stranded? Do you need help? Like, can we give you a ride? And boom, it would happen. If you needed groceries, you could go to your neighbor. And I'm not saying all that has changed, but there's definitely been less focus on a uh, transference of the traditions since the casinos opened. And, you know, a lot of those, most of our elders have died, um, not just from old age, but the uh, COVID hit really, really hard on the reservation. At one point, I don't know if, at the, I don't know what the stats are now, but at one point we were the hardest hit area um, in the country. We we're a tribe of 12,000. And in two months we buried 120 people. So this past year has been pretty traumatic. 
And, you know, growing up on the rest is pretty traumatic. There's, there's a lot of abuse. There's a lot of alcoholism. It's very, there's a, a lot of colonized um, mentalities, especially once the casinos came. All of a sudden it was bad to be traditional. I got talked down to a lot for going to ceremony and, you know, going to uh, Chukalashpa, which is uh, the sweat lodge, because we're supposed to be a modern tribe. And they talk about how successful we are. Um, but all that success is, is money. And it's not money that the people have. It's money that the tribal government has and, and generates. Um, but there's, you know, I grew up in extreme poverty. And there's, you know, there's still a lot of people in extreme poverty there. There's, there's something that I, I can't put into words about growing up around your people. And I realized this going through Boston with my friend Button, who's Puerto Rican, but she grew up in Pensacola. And we happened to pull into Boston on Puerto Rican Pride Day. And she rolled out her window and started screaming, Boricua! And uh, just tears are streaming down her face. And that's when I realized that I've been taking all these years, I've been taking for granted that I grew up around my people. I grew up with my language. I grew up around people who look like me and around my tradition. And it, it was a very, I don't know about life changing, but it, it was very eye-opening. It was very eye-opening. And I don't think I've ever thought about my experience on the reservation the same since then. Um, it, it really like opened me up to appreciating the the beauty uh that's that's there as well and just like new orleans there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that goes in the city that is traumatic it's traumatic to witness it's traumatic to deal with the aftermath even if you weren't involved uh in in the actual happenings and i think that's one of the things that we hold precious here in bobantra is the, the Afro-Indigenous culture that, that thrives here. And just like, yeah, it's the spirit. It's the soul of a boncha. Do you mind if I ask, um, do you make it back to your reservation? Um, I went last year uh, a few times. I was doing, um, my big sister opened up a donation center at the old uh, Dollar General when they shut the casinos down. Um, because the casinos are the main source of employment for everybody. So the casinos got shut down and nobody had money for anything. So I started gathering donations, monetary and, and material. And uh, once every couple of weeks, I would um, drive down to, or drive up to the res and you know drop stuff off. And I would cash out my sister all the time and stuff. and but I didn't grow up with my big sister. My immediate family who's still, uh, that I grew up with that are still on the reservation is my mom and my two brothers and their kids and they all live in the same house. And it's been really hard uh, because they don't fully understand what's going on with me and they won't ask questions. 
and it's frustrating. And uh, I showed up and I, I didn't, I didn't feel like I was being treated like a member of the family anymore. And I, I've talked to my mom and everything uh, about it. My brothers won't talk to me, but, um, and it's just words, you know, and I just can't trust anything until like I see that they actually want to take an active role in my life. And it's sad, but, you know, um, it, it, it is what it is. And at the end of the day, I'm a more uh, whole and uh, honest version of myself. And I hold on to that dearly. I take a lot of pride in who I've become and who I'm becoming. I only realized that I was a trans woman four years ago, four and a half years ago, uh, and I'm 39. And the source of that realization uh, was I was having a conversation with my roommate about how my, my accent is an affectation. Because when I realized I was moving off the reservation, I knew that I couldn't have a reservation accent. I, not new. I felt that I couldn't have, I couldn't have a reservation accent and not be treated um, lesser. Uh, and I'm really good at mimicking accents. So I worked really, really hard to, uh, to affect the flat Midwestern white American accent. And the tragedy is, I feel like a, the reservation accent is now, my, my authentic original accent has become the affectation. And, you know, and I, I just, I process a lot through uh, verbalizing. So we just, this conversation just went on and on and just, just layers being peeled off and like four hours into to just like ripping every last piece of skin from my body, I was like, oh, damn, I'm a girl. <laughs> um, but as soon as I realized it, I just like, I fucking knew, I knew it. And like, um, there, was, there was no question in my mind about um, when I was gonna come out to anybody or anything like that, I was immediately like, yo, so I'm a girl now, these are my pronouns, like, respect me. It's, it's, been, it's been four and a half of the most traumatic and wonderful and fulfilling um, and horrible years of my adult life. And I, I, I wouldn't, I, I would never um, take that decision back. Um, because, uh, when you realize your authentic self, your true self, um, you can love you and I love me. I like, I enjoy being me. It's pretty great. I have a question here that I tend to ask people, um, in part because we're in the South and also I keep asking it because I, I get just some really, really interesting, insightful answers to this. Do you consider yourself religious at all? I, oh God, I think that, I think that whatever, um, whatever's going on, we just physically, we don't have the capacity to understand it. It's so, so far beyond, you know, it's, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what I think, but 
you know, when I'm creating art, when I'm creating music, I do feel close to Hashtali, which is uh, an ancient Choctaw deity. And I do feel close to the ancestors. And there are times when, when I'm creating something and it all comes together, that, that, that moment when you know something's done and I step back and I just know that I, I just have, I just feel that I didn't do this alone. I don't know. I, 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 I don't know, Sophie. I don't, I, I'm not religious. I'm not religious. I hate religion. Um, Chocos didn't have a religious practice. We were like, Hashtali is a deity of sorts. But using that word is weird. It's weird to try to describe an indigenous spirituality in English. English is an inherent violence to me. And even something like our word for a trans woman is hatak holba. Hatak meaning a person. Holba meaning something something that isn't, that can't be fully expressed um, in English. We had words for it, you know what I mean? Like we had words for it. So the tradition was there. Um, it's no longer there, but it was. And that's kind of uh, a big thing in my life right now is really working to reclaim tradition and also recontextualize. And the thing about culture, especially um, indigenous culture and why oral history is so important is because the stories change by who's telling it. It changes in context, it changes in, you know, the, the notes that are important in a story change with what's going on around you. And instead of relying on texts that were written 2000 years ago it's relevant now the story you know the, the, the story you're hearing it's relevant now because the person who is telling it is inside that relevance um so culture's never meant to be stagnant and it's since co colonialization it's it stayed pretty fucking stagnant and so it's important to me to to not only reclaim culture but recontextualize it to where it makes sense for, for me and my existence in this, in this time. That is a powerful note, I think, to end things. To read our full interview, including more about Lola's research into the role of trans men and trans women in Choctaw society, please visit our website at louisianatransoralhistory.org. Before we hear our song of the month, let me just give a big appreciation to Caroline Ziegler for her editorial work on this episode, the Louisiana Endowment for the Humanities for the funds that made this interview process possible. Our theme music is composed and performed by Daisy Ray. Today's show was mixed, recorded, and hosted by me, Sophie Ziegler. And a giant, giant thank you, of course, to Lola Jean Darling for being part of the project.
So much of what we do here depends on the support of patrons. If you like our work, you can find us at patreon.com slash Louisiana Trans Oral History. All funds are reinvested in the community. This is how we pay the musicians for the use of their work. This is how we pay for ongoing interview transcripts. And I love that everyone we give money to is part of the trans and gender non-conforming communities. This episode's featured song is by Mary Cherry Bomb, a project of April Hottenrot, a trans woman previously of New Orleans. This song was written and recorded in New Orleans and was, April says, directly inspired by not only two of the most influential people she met in the city, but also the uplifting spirit and atmosphere of the city itself. Until we meet again, everybody, stay safe and tell the people that you love that you love them. Losing your eyes, she says she knows.